Well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And, and, and present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And, and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment that is a reflection of joy, because, you know... The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program, fellas. It's great to be back with you, huh? Boy, it's wonderful to see you, pal. A full casting crew. The whole team. The whole team is in the house today. Everybody had a good fourth. Everybody had a good week last week. You did a nice job working, putting in the hard time. Yeah, well, you know, I show up all the time. I make I, nobody sure the job is done. That. So I, I, nobody believes that. I appreciated you calling in to give us the history of gelatin. That was really nice. <laughs> you needed it. <laughs> You're telling me that's not interesting. It was interesting. It's very interesting. I mean, it's not hooves, but it's like femurs. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think that maybe, stuff is important information. I think they just used to take everything that they didn't eat, and they just sort of threw it in, <laughs> made a sluice, and out came gelatin. Which it's like is, you go to a hot dog factory and the output is hot dog and jello. Like somehow, whatever <laughs> animal parts they throw together. And somehow Ashbrook's mind immediately goes to Bill Cosby. Which, yeah, that was very <laughs> I mean, the guy made a commercial. Yeah. Series of commercials. He, he sure did. Did okay. a lot of things. <laughs> did a lot of He did things. a lot of things. These days he's famous for other things. <laughs> you uh, remember when he was rolling out of the, after he beat the rap? Yeah. And he goes, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Fat Albert style? Yeah. God. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's like as inappropriate as when uh, Governor Northam was caught in blackface, and then he proceeded to talk about how he could still do the moonwalk. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that guy survived to the end of his term. Uh, unbelievable. Because he's a Democrat. Exactly. Yeah, there yeah. It 100%. Is. There it is. Uh, so that first clip, that's what the hell is the vice president talking about? Nothing. Nobody knows. She doesn't even know. And libs were dunking on her last week. I saw a tweet from a well-known liberal uh, voice in Washington who was like, oh, when she starts talking about time and space, oh. sit back. <laughs> I mean, what an amazing gift she has for, for, of just filling nothingness yeah. with words. They're supposed to be like platitudes, and it just sounds... Like gobbledygook. It really is like Chat GPT. It's like Chat GPT say fourteen words in a row and just goes, <laughs> starts repeating. It's like a couple of verbs I'll throw in there, maybe a noun. California's not sending their best. Absolutely no, not. they certainly are not. Uh, we are sending our best. We've got a sponsor for today, Capital Access Alliance. In an interview, I understand, fellas. Yeah, they were. He was pretty good. So Brian Walsh, longtime friend, an old friend is, of yeah, the program, now working with the Capital Access Alliance. They're fighting for more flights into Washington D.C. and they say lower fares into D.C.A. Yeah, which is a, a difference because those of you who fly into D.C., I feel like there's a little bait and switch going on from the airlines. Always when they're Always. like, they're like, you're like, I want to go to Washington D.C. and if you don't, not a frequent traveler there. They give you options, yeah, right. And they're like, "Yeah, no, no problem. Here's BWI. Yeah, have fun in Maryland. <laughs> yeah. And next thing you know, you're in Baltimore, and you're like, "This isn't even close to Baltimore. Washington D.C." <laughs> so they're trying to get people here. Yeah, they're in, into the Washington Reagan Airport, and he had some very interesting things to say. I can't wait to hear about it. Okay. Uh, well, you're seeing us on YouTube, uh, and you know, I look, fellas, you didn't at least lose the YouTube audience last week. I'll give you that. That's right. Over the past couple of weeks, we've actually doubled the number of our subscribers, which is great to see. Thank you so much to everyone who has followed us on YouTube already. If you have not, go on there, hit the subscribe button, and you get the whole show in video plus extra goodies, things yeah. that don't even go out in the show. Also, a little behind the scenes here, we were talking um, in the pre-production meeting, but the Wolf's got a lot of Ideas. dials spinning here, you know, with video playback and stuff like that, and I think... I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Oh, gosh, I can't wait. All of this is so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But nothing, and I mean nothing, more exciting than our next announcement. This is huge. We're going back to Iowa, fellas. Boom! <laughs> it's going to be great. I mean, it was really good last time. It's going to be even better now. Do we have that old-timey Iowa jingle? I think we do, but give me one minute. Yeah, you got to look at that, because, listen, last time, for those of you who are longtime listeners— uh, it was one of our first traveling events. Yeah. Um, 
and Governor Reynolds and Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley all had an incredible invitation, open invitation for us to go experience the Iowa State Fair. For those of you who haven't seen on our YouTube, uh, we made the most of it. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we had pretty much the entire Iowa delegation all the way through. Like we had, like you, you'd mentioned, we had uh, Kim Reynolds, we had Ashley Henson. Like it was a, the warmest welcome for the show. We had a blast, and this time I think it's going to be even bigger. Well, it's going to be even bigger, Smug, uh, because look, we got a presidential primary going on right That's now. That's exactly right. And this is the last Iowa State Fair right before the Iowa caucuses. Well, which that's were just an important a... point. <laughs> It's uh, it's going to be a big deal. Obviously, they just announced the Iowa caucuses will be January fifteenth. Yeah, I want to get into that in a and second. all that. Yeah, but uh, you know, so this is big for us. It's a big deal. It's all I'm saying is it's big for us. It's very big. Do we have the music? Oh, I know. All I owe. I owe. I owe. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know where we found that. I to. <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much. Um, but as you mentioned. Iowa has now officially announced its caucus date. And there was a rampant speculation about when that might be. And it seemed like there was like a 60-day window there. Yeah, as late as March. There were a lot of uh, people who were saying that this time is going to start in March. But January, even earlier than last time, if I remember, it was February last time, right? I think it was like the first week of February, maybe the last week in January. This seems a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, what do we think about it? So it's on... Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Well, it's it's obviously a really big deal for Republicans. Democrats, as most people know, have been trying to stiff arm the state because they just haven't been very successful yeah. over the past few cycles. Well, and the, and the current occupant of the White House got his doors blown off mm -hmm. in his Democratic caucus yeah. in Iowa. And so in his eternal uh, need for vengeance on that, they yeah. tried to shift Iowa entirely out of it. And then Republicans took advantage of it. Well, and in Iowa, there are about 650,000 registered Republican voters. And there was a record turnout in 2016. And from what, what I'm hearing now, they're expecting an even higher turnout for 24. They're thinking like 30, 32 percent turnout. Wow. So it for a be, primary. It, no, it's yeah. a caucus, which is very caucus, different that's than right. a primary. That's a great point right? to make. I yeah. mean, the, the thing is, is like most people are equipped enough if they're into politics to go and cast your ballot and get the hell out of there. Caucus requires a little bit of time. Far more involved. Yeah. A little Far bit more of involved. effort. You got to go a little, show up. And it's a little intimidating, I think. You got to talk to neighbors. You know, so. Who have different opinions. Right. About things. Right. And generally, people in the Midwest, you, you, you don't bring up divisions. Midwest nice. Amongst neighbors too often, but this is, this is their opportunity to do that. A lot of pals, a lot of buddies. I think they're going to go ahead. I think there's going to be a huge turnout. I yeah. think so, too. I mean, and it's not easy to organize over 200,000 people. So you know that the state is getting ready. Kim Reynolds, good friend of the program, you know that she and her team are working overtime to make sure that every single one of these local caucuses mm -hmm. is, is built and ready to go. Can I bring up one quibble? Mm. One quibble mm -hmm. with the timing. Uh, for those of you who follow the NFL schedule as closely oh. Oh, as I do— You've noticed that this year, unlike previous years, the NFL has added a Monday night wild card game, January 15th. No mm. kidding. Mm. That's going to be tough. That's going to be real tough. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's a thing. I don't know. For campaigns, it might work because the night before caucusing, you know everyone's going to be at home, in theory, watching the wild card game. Well, no, it's the night of the game. Oh, it's the night of it? Yeah. They're, oh, you're just going to have to turn a watch party they were into do, a caucus. I thought the caucus were on Tuesdays. They're, it's on a Monday? They're going to have to have Same some time TVs as a wild card? at the place, aren't they? Wow. Yeah. I mean... A hundred percent. They're wow. going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to figure that part out? Yeah. But, I mean, look, it's on a holiday, so there's no excuse for you not to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and the good people of Iowa, good Lord, they've been so invested at building the Republican Party That's over right. the last four to six years... I think the enthusiasm is going to be off the hook. I know that their public officials are well engaged in all of this. So, you know, I expect, despite the wild card thing, mm -hmm. to, to be a pretty big success. But, yeah. the, but, but the good thing is there is no NFL game the night of the Ruthless program live in Iowa. Do you have the details on that, Duncan? I do. I do. So the event will be Thursday, August 10th at 7 p.m. local time. Oof. We don't have a venue yet. We're still kind of working out the details of that. We'll share those as soon as we uh, can. 
but we've got early bird tickets for sale, all sorts of oh, stuff. Oh, the tickets are up. Yeah, all you got to do is go to ruthlessiowa.com. It redirects to the ticketing page. and Subdomain? Right there. It's, a, it's not a subdomain. It's, it's a, a regular domain. It's a forwarding domain. It is a it is wait, a full-fledged domain. It's a domain. It is a... Uh, RuthlessIowa.com is the subdomain. No, 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 smug. Please. I, he's offended. This is, You're offending my internet prowess his, right now. His art form. It's what we call in the biz a vanity URL. Oh. Oh, because I get it's, it. it's easy to remember. RuthlessIowa.com. That's where you get the ticket. Well, and there's nothing that Smug appreciates more than vanity. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit. Okay. The man's right. He's right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Ruthless Iowa. RuthlessIowa.com. Dot com. Get your it, tickets. They're early bird tickets for sale right now. There's also on here, um, Jared. Shout out to Jared for putting all this together. Advanced man Jared. Uh, minion pit tickets. Oh. This yeah. is going to be amazing. Oh, which wow. put you Which put you up front and a free drink. Oh, that's you believe that? good. So we can hang. Yeah. Oh, man. I appreciate the fine police of Iowa for helping out <laughs> yeah. with this event. Well, last time they came and escorted us around. Yeah. Yeah. The great folks. We'll see if they have the same uh, view. Of, <laughs> I, we're, we love the cop. They love us. Yeah. Not when I was 17, but they do now. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And we're firm supporters. So I, I think what you have to do is go to the vanity URL ruthlessiowa.com yeah get on that because a part of it is when we're trying to lock down this location we're trying to figure out how many people we can accommodate yeah and, and to be honest with you like our first couple runs we we're like i think we're gonna get more than that and so like if you get in early you're guaranteed a spot yeah so far i think every live of ticketed event we've done has sold out within like 60 minutes so Totally. Yeah. Well, the one that we did was like, the Minnesota one was seven minutes. Seven minutes, yeah. And uh, the, the D.C. one, same story. It was yeah. like 30 minutes. It was gone. So I'll tell you right now, you want to be there for sure, RuthlessIowa.com. You got to do it. It's you got to be there. It's a month away. And I'm going to prepare myself. Like, I'm going to be fun here. Yeah. Right? I want all you guys bringing A game. You don't have to worry about me, pal. <laughs> well, I worry about you after the first night. I know that. No, I know. I'm going to make sure that I get there on Thursday so I can bring my A game. Yeah, well, so, I mean, our audience may not know this, but Duncan, no matter what we're going to, if it's a sporting event, a golf trip, a, uh, a ruthless event, a wedding, yeah. whatever it is we call first night Duncan. Yeah. Because he lands on a plane. Lord knows what he's doing on the plane. But he lands and he gets to a hotel, and by, like, midnight, He's unrecognizable in human form. Shot out of a cannon. This man goes <laughs> full fledged. Well, it's just you know, I'm like a closer. Like you, like you bring me into the game when you need me the most in this pivotal moment, and I give you hot heat. Feels a little bit like a starter in this circumstance. <laughs> you're like barely wheels down. Yeah. Well, I like your attitude though. Yeah. But we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to spread it out a little bit so we get a couple of days of yeah. action out of you. Okay. Which is important. Yeah. Um, all right, so we got to talk a little bit of the campaign. Let's start with campaign politics, shouldn't we? Okay. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I think. I mean, and, and I was a good place to start. It I, really is. There's a couple of interesting articles that came out. New York Times did one that I think has some texture here that gives you an idea of what's going on in Iowa, because most of the media organizations are, are talking about, like, certainly on cable, it's all, like, national stuff. And you see national polls and this, that, and the other thing. But, like, what's happening in Iowa is pretty important and some of it has big potential dynamics um so trump and desantis are battling for iowa voters and for its governor too governor kim reynolds has vowed to be neutral in 2024 but donald trump's team views her as neutral in name only when it comes to ron desantis and his wife i think that's crazy and i'll tell you why mm. Because there's been a long history of Iowa. Got Branstad did this for mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. Grassley has done it forever. Mm -hmm. Tom Harkin on the Democratic side did it exact same way. Mm -hmm. And basically what they are is political concierges. Mm -hmm. They know that their contest means more to the presidential election than anything else. And they're going to take advantage of it. Yeah. So they're going to try to get as much time out of each one of these candidates and take them to, like, all the things that they care about, all the people that they need to, to, to get to know, show them the projects that ha should be have educated a little bit on ethanol. 
That's huge. Right. Very important topic. It's smart, like you're alluding here, because it means more face time for your constituents that vote for you. Yeah. Right. With all the people who might be running the country. And right? one of these people might very well be the president of the United States. Yeah. And so getting it's almost like having a, a, a complete edge on 49 other states. Right. Because you've got commitments locked in. It's early. like you got the big red phone. Yeah. You know? Right. right. <laughs> so, but somehow this has gotten sideways. And I think I want, I'm anxious to hear about your impressions of other. I know I've got strong opinions, but I don't want to lead with that. Why is it, in your view, that Trump sees Reynolds as a DeSantis supporter, despite the fact that she's taken basically all of the candidates everywhere? So, I, I think it's important to say you know, how great a job Kim Reynolds has been doing because she is using this as an opportunity to get her constituents, the people of Iowa, as much time with presidential candidates as possible, which is huge, huge. Um, I think part of Trump's thinking here is he sees the polling. He's like, why is there even a primary? I've got this locked up. Why are you showing anyone around town? You know, everybody knows I'm the chosen one. And I think that's his attitude, is that anyone who does not agree with that viewpoint that this is already over. You if know? you observe that there is a contest at all, you're in the other camp. I think so. I mean, we're six months from Iowa, and he's like, why is anyone campaigning? You know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's where this stems from, is that attitude. I think that's probably right. Don, can you have a thought on that? I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other part is, uh, you know, Donald Trump sees everything through the prism of loyalty to him. Yeah. And um, as you've seen in his attacks with, on Ron DeSantis— he was just in uh, um, Nevada um, last weekend, and he was attacking DeSantis on, you know, I endorsed him. I'm the one who made him governor, and now he's going to run against me sort of thing, which is <laughs> right. He, he's done on a lot of folks. Uh, and, he, you know, he likes to take credit for other people's victories and uh, sees it as, um, you know, all originating from him winning in 2016. And so he looks at someone like Kim Reynolds, and he said this in his, you know, truth uh, about it. Um, but he takes credit for her victory as well, right? And so he always has this um, mythology to, like, how these people got to where they were. And shocker, he's a central figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I think there's various levels of truth depending on who the candidate is. I think it all depends. Like, it's not all the same, yeah. right? But uh, I think that's the largest part of it. I think so. Smash, you have a thought? I can't begin to guess why, um, but it does seem like— I mean, she's a, really popular. It, yeah, it, it does seem like another example of the president shooting himself in the foot. Uh, this guy has been on the ballot four times in Iowa, and he's won three of them. And the only reason why he lost in 2016 by a single delegate vote was because he did, wasn't organized in the state. Yeah. He just started. He basically had one guy on the ground. Yeah. Well, this time he has a whole team. They're very well organized. And this time— they are serious about winning, and his team thinks that they've got 30 to 35 percent of the of the vote locked up, like the not going anywhere. And if that's the case, he's not only going to win, he's going to win big. Because if you remember in 2016, the top three candidates were actually very, very close. Yep. Yeah. Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, Marco Rubio were all in the 20s somewhere yep. and all within just a single delegate of one another. So uh, I think it's possible that this could be another close race. But if somehow Trump does not win in Iowa, for these other candidates, it's almost like that moment in Rocky Four when Balboa hits Ivan Drago and he's like, oh, I caught him. He's a man. He's not he's not a machine. Yeah. And so like that, that's that would be I think I think Trump has to win in Iowa. They 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 will say that it's not essential that they can win in these other states after Iowa. And maybe that's true. But I think Iowa is very important for everybody, including Trump. Yeah, look, I agree with all of you. I think that's, I think anything short of a coronation, he's upset about. And also, I remember in 2016, it was kind of a controversial Iowa caucus. You guys remember? It was but, tight. So Ted Cruz's, uh, so the way caucuses work is it's not like you go, like in a primary, you fill out your ballot, you go home, it's over. You're basically like in a high school gymnasium. You know, they, they, they say, okay, this is the first round. Everyone go into your like corner based on which candidate you're going to support and then they hash it out you know you'll have people who like i guess they're the head for that candidate at that caucus location will will be like here's why you should support yeah it's off, Trump. often a surrogate of the campaign you know somebody who's been around around town you know they're they're there on behalf of such and such campaign yeah they'll be like okay so like there's a cutoff where they're like okay your candidate's not viable in the first round here's why you should right. come over to our camp right and so and, you're, you're twisting arms you're trying to persuade people you're like you know, I mean, Rubio people come over here to the Trump side, that sort of thing. 
So it requires a little bit of tact uh-huh. because you also don't want to piss people off because yep. you might want them to come over to you later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, you got you to work it. Right. And then there were rumors that the Ted Cruz like caucus app you know, Ben Carson, apparently, yeah. what was the story? I Carson, think Carson, by the way, finished a respectable fourth. Yeah. So he was he was doing great in the caucus. And apparently, like, they a, said something about him dropping out. A text a text went out or a push notification or, or yeah. something. I don't know if we it, was it actually ever proven it came from Ted Cruz's campaign. I have, I have no idea. No idea. I have no idea. But I'm, I, I know for a fact Donald Trump accused yeah. Cruz of, of doing it. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was like that. They big, had their ca- folks at these various caucus locations tell everyone, hey, Ben Carson's dropping out, guys. Come on over to our side, and then Cruz ends up winning it. So yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a little controversial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that. So this truth that Trump sent sent out, I think, sort of underscores the whole issue here. And he he does this a lot, and it's so far has not had any impact on his polling at all. Mm. But I, I don't. I just as this race matures a little bit, I just don't know how some of this stuff works, right? So he says. I opened up the governor position for Kim Reynolds, right? Because he appointed Branstad as a mm-hmm. ad commissioner or mm-hmm. whatever. And when she fell behind, I endorsed her, did big rallies, and she won. Now she wants to remain neutral. I don't invite her to events. The Sanctus down 45. <laughs> I mean, this lady is not some potted plant. Yeah, I mean, that's... She has built an incredibly strong Republican party in Iowa. And she has, like, a 90% approval rating amongst Republicans. That's the thing, is, like, her... People love her. Her resume, especially over the past year, what she's gotten done is essentially the conservative wish list of, like, school choice, tax cut, every single thing that conservatives have on... that She's been, like, conservative Santa Claus. Just, Mm -hmm. like, everything's been done in this... Like... And she's gone out there and kicked ass of a lot of local legislators who weren't on board with 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 the conservative agenda and got it done, which is huge. So that's why she is so popular in that state. And I'll also say this. If Trump does win Iowa, if he wins the nomination, if he comes, becomes president of the United States, you're going to want Kim Reynolds in your corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just don't understand any of that. I, 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 don't, I, I, think, I think if you're Donald Trump, you know she's not going to come out and endorse anybody. So her hands are a little bit tied, maybe. And so you, in sending this, you're sending what you, you're doing with all of these truths, where you're just sort of continuing this narrative of, like Smug was saying earlier, like, you know, the existence of this primary is yeah. an affront to me in the first place. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, she wants to be an ambassador for the for the, her state, so she's not going to reply to this and be like, all right, I endorse Nikki, or, or I endorse DeSantis, right? So she has to sit there and be like, all right, okay. Yeah. You know, and he and he gets a free pass to be able to say this about her, which like I don't know. I don't, I don't, know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it ultimately matters, I don't, but I don't know if it's if it's a free pass. I mean, there there are ways that you can make somebody's life miserable separately from putting out a statement publicly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a big state. It's a very diverse state that that uh, person personal interaction matters. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think he shot himself in the foot with this. Yeah, and I just don't think it's, it's six, six months out. I mean, I don't six, think it's months, out. six it may months not for matter. that to ruminate. It may not matter, but it does seem like it's a, a significant misstep. I think it's it, it, the final thing I'll say in it is that it, it just goes back to this thing that Donald Trump always does, which is against what is his better judgment, probably knowing it's not a good idea. He can't help himself. He does it anyway. Yeah, no, you're uh, right. You're right, Michael. Well done. So according to the Des Moines Register, the Iowa GOP's Lincoln dinner draws both Trump and DeSantis. Now, you remember this has been an issue mm-hmm. because they've done competing events, whether it was Joni Ernst's roast and ride, whether it was the uh, the one the one that Trump said that there was a tornado and so DeSantis basically mm-hmm. went to his event. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it, it, I mean, they have not been in the same venue, mm-hmm. the same place in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Apparently they will now uh, and 11 others July 28th. I cannot wait for this. It's yeah. going to, you know, they're going to be fireworks. You know that President Trump has something up his sleeve. I would guess that the DeSantis team or their super PAC have something up their sleeve. I cannot wait for this event. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to be in close proximity. We're basically 12 days later. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in Iowa to catch all the aftermath and talk through it all. Uh, a number of different other things that are going. We mentioned Joni Ernst's roast and ride. Did you see this thing? It was in the Independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. 
uh, about how she invited everybody, as she does. Joni Ernst is mm -hmm. like Kim Reynolds and that she w wants to be a political concierge and get people in. And she has this big annual event that was very well attended, I might add, called the Roast and Ride. And all of the candidates except Trump showed up. And in order to accommodate, because he had a scheduling conflict, in order to accommodate that, they, they rented these big, like, screens. Mm -hmm. Did you see this? Yeah. They rented these brains so he would do a video message, mm -hmm. and they never did one. Never sent it. <laughs> yeah, and I, um, I also read, I, I think it was in the, the New York Times, um, you know, which did this, the whole, this whole story. This might be a rewrite. But that they also sent a helmet that they wanted to raffle off to charity. Yeah. And, you know, have all of the people who were running sign it. And Trump signed it with uh, a big, you know, 45 president, 45th president, and then a huge 47. And so they, they like, you know, it's not, oh, they couldn't use yeah, it. They couldn't use it. Because <laughs> so it's they, supposed to be, because yeah, right. like a, a neutral yeah. deal. And they can't obviously <laughs> it'd do it. Be, it'd, be, it'd be like, it'd be like his mother's day. And like, I get the card. I get the card for mom. And I give it to my brother. And he signs it with a big old John Hancock. You know? <laughs> I got this for you. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, all of the focus, all the focus has been on Trump and DeSantis, right? And and DeSantis has a lot of money. He has spent a lot of money. And he... Yeah, did you guys cover that last week about how much money this guy has raised? We, we we'd, only, on we'd only gotten breaking news of when the Trump campaign yeah, reported we, theirs. We haven't, we didn't get all the numbers, which I, has been tricky. And I think, I think we should kind of wait till we have... Apples to apples from everybody. Okay. I know Nikki released some numbers uh, today as well. We ha we have DeSantis numbers. We have Trump numbers. I kind of want to see where everybody like is. To we'll see the report, and then too. we'll do a whole rundown. Yes, I want the FEC report. I want to know how many unique donors. All yeah. that sort of stuff. So okay. we can give you like the real under the hood. Suffice it to say, DeSantis line. is raising a fair amount of money. A ton of money. He is raising a fair amount of money. But what we've learned from watching Iowa in the past is that there is room in the state for multiple candidates to do very, very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, in 2016, we talked about three candidates at the top. It's not inconceivable. You could have the same thing this time around, even with DeSantis having so much money. One of the stats that I heard recently is that the top 10 counties produce about 40% of the vote. And a lot of that vote is coming out of suburbs in places like Des Moines and Davenport and Cedar Rapids. Yeah. And a lot of suburban Republican voters have been looking for a new face for the party for multiple cycles. And the Nikki Haley team will tell you that they think they've got an edge with that, with that voter set. So I just, I don't think that you can count out the Nikki Haley's of the world. You can count out the Tim Scott's of the world in a state like Iowa that's as big and diverse as it is. A lot of people won't tell you it's diverse. It is a very, very diverse yeah, state. Yeah, 100%. It just, it's, it's a unique, and this is why I love that it's first. I know. Is that it's unique. It requires having a ground game. You got to go earn You got to go and earn it. You got to be able to do retail. You got to show up at other people's events where you don't control everything. Yep. And that for a lot of candidates doesn't work. And so, you know, it, it's a great test for a campaign that hopes to be the nominee and has to win in a bunch of places to prove that they've assembled a team that can go out and earn votes person to person. You're right. It's huge. Like, you know, capitalizing on that attention of trying to get noticed when you have every time there's an Iowa caucus, you've got every candidate essentially on the ground willing to talk to every single voter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a competition to try to get eyeballs, to get folks to support you. I remember in 2016, what stood out to me is President Trump had his helicopter. Yeah, we did the ride. I was State Fair, and he was like, hey, kids, hop on the helicopter, you yeah. get a helicopter ride. And I was like, damn, that is the most brilliant. Thing. <laughs> I hope to God he brings the helicopter back. I, I will jump will. on. I will jump on the helicopter. He should take you on a helicopter ride. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I feel like that's the right thing to do. Um, so there's a lot, but there's a lot of discussion now happening about DeSantis and his campaign strategy. Mm -hmm. Because everybody expected a big bump coming out of the announcement. That clearly didn't happen. He's raising a lot of money, but the polls don't seem to be moving. He's doing a lot of things on the ground in places like Iowa. Those polls don't seem to be moving a lot. So there's now, like, you get the inevitable, you know, here's the strategy. It seems dumb to us type thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. The latest here is in the Atlantic. Uh, Ron DeSantis's only hope to beat Trump from the hard right. Oh, okay. Uh, on paper, DeSantis's campaign is in dire straits. He's trailing the front runner, Trump, by a two-to-one margin in the national polls. There's no national primary, only individual state contests. Uh, and these first uh, of these will take place in Iowa early in 2024. The outcome of the showdown 
has the potential to shape the entire primary to follow and by pivoting hard to the right on social issues, including abortion and gender, DeSantis has been methodically positioning himself to win. Conservative evangelicals and their preferences have determined the winner of the Iowa caucus in three Republican presidential primaries. 2008, they chose Mike Huckabee. This is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. In 12, they gave the nod to Rick Santorum. Mm -hmm. You might forget People that. People forget about that. Yeah. And in 2016, they, uh, they, they gave it to Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the theory of the case here is that he's doing the social conservative thing, running hard to the right of Donald Trump in Iowa, and maybe that is the way to go about being more competitive. Not going to show up now, but as people begin to evaluate their choices, they got one guy who's a pretty reliable conservative social warrior, mm -hmm. which, you know, look, nobody has been a better president on issues like abortion than Donald Trump. That's a fact. But it's also very hard to think about the commitment to other social issues that DeSantis has weighed in on that Trump is, has always been a little uncomfortable with. Yeah. And I think in, in the state of Florida, it's been a source of tremendous strength for DeSantis. And like, you know, he had built this reputation of, he generally does not give a damn what the press thinks of him, yeah. what the left thinks of him. It's a great image. He just goes and gets it done. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he makes it very clear he's not going to play games with these journalists. Like, you even see the phrasing that they have here, that hard right on gender. It's like, what mm -hmm. the hell? Like, how are you hard right on well, gender? Hard right is apparently acknowledging that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Yeah, so yeah. When, that's when, hard right, guys. So he, he made a, a name for himself by completely rejecting this kind of framing that you get from the media. And it's part of the reason why he won in such a landslide yeah. in the state of Florida. So yeah. he definitely has that going for him. But the one thing I would point out here, just to play devil's advocate, is all these people who won Iowa did not become the nominee. Right. Mm. No. No, that's true. Because, look, you immediately pivot to New Hampshire, which is a much more nuanced view right. on all of those things. In fact, in some ways, from a political standpoint... The exact opposite view. They're much more libertarian on all of these things, mm -hmm. yeah. including their governor, who's is, – is Sununu pro-choice? I don't know. I think he's pro-life. Is he pro-life? Hard-right conservative. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know the answer I don't to know, that but it's certainly more nuanced. Let's just put it that way. It, yeah. it, it is more nuanced. And when Rick Santorum won, remember, that was the rise of the Tea Party. And the definition of what was a conservative was framed a lot by where do you stand vis-a-vis -vis the Tea Party. Mitt Romney did not have their yeah. the, those bona fides. Even Ted Cruz was living a little bit off of the Tea Party fumes when but he wanted to But they were all doing the well Bible organized. thing. And remember, that's when Trump said he holds the Bible high and lies. For the, for the last. Lion Ted. Li that's where Lion, Lion Ted, Ted came from. Yeah. For, the yeah. last, for the last six or so years, what is a conservative has been defined almost exclusively by do you support this guy named Donald Trump who's being attacked daily by the media? Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a residual effect there. And I just all the point I'm making is that the idea that there's a path exclusively to the right of Trump, I think, is a little bit tough to imagine. I think that Santos needs moderate voters. He needs the kind of voters who don't think Trump can win a general election, who live in these suburbs to vote for him. Otherwise, he's going to have a hard time. Well, I mean, that look, that's an argument I've made for a long time. If you look at the 670, 80,000 registered Republicans in Iowa, I think the high watermark, as you said, was like 300,000, close to 300,000, just under it, that showed up at the caucuses in 2016. There's also a whole bunch of people that showed up in 2016 who were like regular 2014 hardcore five of five Republican primary voters who have since left the scene. Mm -hmm. And they are in that category that you're talking about, the suburban Davenport, yep. uh, mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids, uh, Des Moines area. And... It's hard to imagine anyone competing against Donald Trump unless you have a foothold somewhere in that mm -hmm. and bring people back. Because as of right now, this is the argument that I've made to everyone, is that everyone is accepting the premise that the primary universe as it is currently constituted, the one that was built entirely by Donald Trump, is the universe of Republican primary voters. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. And we've seen over time how that has changed. How there are, you know, George W. Bush in 2000 changed the model for that and did a compassionate conservative thing and all of that. You look back at Buchanan in the early 90s who had a whole bunch of new sort of libertarian, uh, much more 
uh, I don't want to say isolationist, but you know what I mean. Paleoconservatives. Ba- yeah. Paleoconservatives that, that ushered in a whole new group of people. It's why I've consistently said on this show that there's no person who ever wins the Republican nomination for president and is successful to go on and become president of the United States running on some on a movement someone else built. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do it because it it acknowledges that somebody else did it better than you did mm-hmm. by definition. And the audacious task of running for president in the first place means that you have a vision that can include more than what we've done over the last six, eight years. Well, these suburb- or you wouldn't vote for him it, in the first it's, place. It's, it's an excellent point. And it's, it's, these suburban voters are looking for something very different from what they've been given over the past several cycles. We talked about why Nikki Haley may have an angle in, which she's done like 30 events there. And uh, Tim Scott is spending a lot of money in the state of Iowa. He's got an ad up on TV right now where he sort of attacks the woke culture. He's throwing a tight spiral. I don't know if you guys have, yeah. have seen this, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good ad. And somebody like him is obviously trademarked now as optimism and a message that is very different from what you're hearing from a lot of other candidates. And so I just think a guy like him has a shot. And in Iowa, the game, I, I feel like it's anybody's game, right? Well, almost anybody's game right now. I mean, at least at the top, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch. And I, I wouldn't sleep on Tim Scott either. Well, yeah. I'm excited for us to be out in Iowa because I can't wait to talk to some voters and figure out what they're thinking. Totally. Right? Because, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen I don't it. want it filtered through CNN. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? I want to go talk to people. And I don't. our audience doesn't want it filtered through CNN. Can I just say one more thing yeah. about Tim Scott? This ad that he's got up right now, the tagline in the ad I thought was very interesting because it's almost like it's a shot directly at President Trump. The tagline is, it's good to fight. But it's better to win. Ooh, and wow. and that that talks well, right a, to the that suburbs. Could, that, but that could also be a, a Desantis shot right. too. Could right. be right. Well, because I think what Desantis is trying to do is have his cake and eat it too a little bit, right? You know, he's going to run to the right of Donald Trump on things like gender ideology, and he's also going to say, "I've got the blueprint in Florida. I passed it to into win. law, and I won." Yeah. And I won by twenty points, and so he's going to try to be able to make an argument to the suburban voters to say. Didn't you love winning? Yeah. You know, and then he can he can talk to other subsets of the electorate who are socially conservative and say, not only can I win, and I know you want to win, and I know Donald Trump did a lot of great things while he was president, but, you know, he's a little squishy on some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's a good message. But I keep coming back to the fact, the empirical fact here is that in January of this year, in early February of this year, this was an inside the margin race. Mm-hmm. It was basically tied between DeSantis and Trump. Mm-hmm. Some polls showed DeSantis winning. Mm-hmm. Open up those polls. Go go to your Google. Go look at it. Open those things back up. To the extent that they offer you cross tabs, here's what they're going to show you. It consolidated a conservative sort of Ted Cruz electorate, as best we understood it back in 2016, with a whole bunch of not never Trump, because they, they were Trump supporters, mm-hmm. but people would turn the page and they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And that second category has heft to it. It's Don't be fooled by looking at, you know, 53% are committed to the former president of the United States as of right now. That's a big number for a primary. Very big. I mean, a big number. But it also means that 47% are not. Mm-hmm. And within that, there's all kinds of different reasons for it. And that's what you got to figure out. So they seem to me, DeSantis seems to me infatuated with trying to figure out how to get his 53 down to 40, which needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think it only happens if the dam breaks and you bring your 20 to 35. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if you can't what? get there, if you can't right. stack bricks to get to a point where it's like, wow, this guy might have a shot, you're never going to convince a Trump voter who's voted in consecutive ele- elections back to... 2016 to support him to change. Yeah, this is one of the points that that a lot of the non-DeSantis opponents are, are making, that he is spending all of this money. Where is his growth? And they're just not, they're arguing that you're not seeing it. I mean, if you talk to the to Tim Scott team, they say that the polling they're showing, uh, the polling they're seeing shows him as the second choice under Trump. That's a, that's a big... That's a very big thing. And at this also, point. that's a good point to to bring up is there have been uh, in Iowa, I should say. Yeah, second choice in Iowa. I would I would say though a lot of candidates in 2016 
had polling that said that they were the second choice and that the whole field should consolidate to them. Yeah. So you, they could go mono But you got you got to give somebody a reason to be the second right, choice. Right. And so far, why would you move if the guy's got a lead that's 30 points? Yeah. But, but to Ashbrook's point about how, you know, some of these candidates are making the point that, okay, DeSantis has had so much money spent. There's not movement happening there. There's starting to be murmurs among a lot of, like, donors, various activists of... All right. Do we need to find someone else to get into this mm. race? Because is it, ha, have these primary voters already cast a judgment that all right? Well, none of these folks are going to be able to beat Trump. Do we need to find somebody else? And there's starting to be rumors like, oh, is there any way that we could get uh, Kemp to run from Georgia? Could we get um, oh goodness, Youngkin, Youngkin to run yeah. from Virginia? That yeah. sort of chatter yeah. is not is not good for the DeSantis campaign. I mean, with with the presidential with presidential politics, there's a lot of talk about like invincibility or inevitability, and that those are the things that Trump. These is fundraising numbers buy him to Labor Day. He, no question about he does. It. Those right. are really formidable huge. numbers. You're right. I mean, You're he's right. raising a lot of money. He's not going anywhere. Right. So he's going to get time. The question is, if people become sort of nervous about having no alternative. Right. Which is a possibility. I mean, look, if we're fine, if these poll numbers look like they do in Thanksgiving. Right. Yep. But what, right. what, yep. what, what we've learned, what we've learned in our years doing campaigns and doing this is that the best way to turn off the negative talk about your campaign is to walk in the arena and throw a punch and land it. Yeah. And if he does that, all of a sudden things change. Yeah. 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 And I mean, to the people who are nervous about DeSantis not growing yet, it's fair to point out. That Donald Trump's super PAC has spent millions and millions of dollars oh, yeah, attacking. Totally. They're not it's out not there attacking free. Tim Scott totally. or, right. or Vivek Ramaswamy no, about <laughs> what a danger he is to the Trump. Quite, quite the contrary. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, That's I mean. A good so, point. Look, well, you got to give Vivek credit. You know, he's been running that Trump super PAC pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> got a strong message. Yeah, President no. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, by the way, he's going to have, uh, I think he's pioneered the idea of paying people to raise money for him. Yeah, I just saw that announcement just came out today of where uh, I think he had a video announcement on Twitter where he was like, hey, you know, why should anyone else get money from fundraising for candidates except for you? So he's like, I'll give you a 10% cut from money that you raised for me, which is wild. And I guess there's like separate levels. Oh, d- multi, like, multi, multi levels? Uh, yeah, like a, like a triangle. A t- oh, oh, okay. <laughs> a three dimensional triangle. So, so parody, like parody, a, we're laughing. Like a, sort of like a pyramid. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't? No, 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 no. No, no, Don LaPree would have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm not accusing anybody. It's innovative. It's it, I mean, it is kind of innovative, you know? I mean, I think his whole, and it's a fair gripe, I think, with the system is, you know, you've got, you know, fundraiser professional funders go out there and have to connect to all these people to raise all this money and like i mean that's their job that like yeah. they get a percentage because they do a job and it it's not an easy job no, no. it no. is not an easy job to be a fundraiser in politics i think he's sort of looking at that and he wants to say well the system's broken and it kind of it pairs nicely with his message as this you know i'm this outsider who's going to disrupt the apple cart of politics it'd be better it'd be thing. better if he was actually a genuinely outsider Candidate, like he—that's how we started, right? But like, you hump Trump's leg long enough, it's not like the right. the, the 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 insider outsider thing kind of fades. Yeah, he has all the capacity to be a great outsider candidate. And I, I and he got is, a lot of attention off of it initially. Yeah, all, he I'm, did. all I'm saying is, I do like the idea of you know just grassroots people who support candidates going out there and trying to convince their friends not just to support a candidate, but like. Chip in ten bucks. Yeah, and, and I get you know I get a buck. I get a buck. I get a buck. And that's the thing. It's is, like a referral code. Hey buddy, how about ten bucks? Yeah. I, I, huh? I, I think just walking into how people about that your friend Barnes you go and Noble. Up to your friend, you're yeah. like, hey man, this is Canada. He's the guy. He's he's fantastic. Twenty bucks, just throw it in. I threw mine in. You know, we're all doing it. Yeah. He's like, all right, sounds good. And then like two weeks later, like, who you're voting for? He's like, Trump. <laughs> I'm like, I thought you got me in on Vivek. He's like, well, I got you know a couple I, bucks. I how, about, how about when he? How about? How about when he puts when he puts the money in and then all of a sudden it dings on the other guy's phone? He's like, "What's that?" He's like, oh, "I just got, a, just oh, got just two a, bucks from your two, 20 bucks." Uh, you know, Venmoed me. But, <laughs> but but I think what a lot of folks are going to learn from this if they try to engage is I, I I'm sure everyone here has had experience working on a campaign where the candidate absolutely hates to dial for money. Yeah. Because it sucks. Like mm-hmm. you're basically calling people and being like, "Hey, can you just 
hand over some And cash. nobody wants to take that call. Yeah, no one likes taking that call. You know, it's either they're, they're going to say, oh, I'm, I'm busy work, work, try me again some later. They don't want to hear back from you. Or it's dinner, don't call back ever again at this time. So when folks try doing this, they're going to learn very quickly of like, wow, this really sucks. This is not fun <laughs> at all. But the whole reason that they have to do this is because of those numbers to get on the debate stage. So they have to have like 40,000 mm -hmm. individual donors that chip in money. Very fair threshold. It's, I the, would right say. And, it's and, the right call. And that's why the interesting thing is there's also news about uh, Burgum's campaign. Oh, Burgum. Where they're offering like $20 gift cards if you chip in a dollar. Be really? Because they're like, well, you can't lose. And what the hell does he care? How is he, that he's even a billionaire. legal? <laughs> <laughs> this is buying. Yeah. So here's the thing. Is the, <laughs> Obama phones. The, <laughs> what's, the, what's the I'm a chop your dollar thing? Oh, yeah. That's the Nigerian scammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, if you haven't, if you have not. Go to YouTube at some point. Uh, subscribe to Ruthless Podcast while you're there, and 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 look up the Nigerian scammers "Chop Your Dollar" song. Oh, it's the best. It's very funny. Oh, it's the best. But, but we the, should maybe figure but out. But the whole thinking here is he hits the forty thousand mm -hmm. threshold. He can afford to fund it. You know, yeah. he's a billionaire. He doesn't yeah. care how much the money is. He's yeah, not trying right. to. Raise he just the wants money. to get on that stage. He just needs those. I, I really hope he gets on that stage because that guy's flow is something else. Oh, he's <laughs> no. got a great head of hair. <laughs> Nobody else up there is going to have that. Hair. Great head of hair. All right, you guys want to talk monkeys quick? We got to get it, get this in. Yeah, uh, always. Because I, I think Ashbrook probably leads the way on this. But um, according to the Sun, uh, monkey labor by cruel coconut farmers who make them work. Huh. in chains to meet growing demand for trendy vegan milk. Uh, we've talked about this before. We're talking about it again. Monkeys are either throwing the babies off the top in Thailand or they're put to good use. That's the thing is when I see this, you already see it's the liberal media at it. They're saying cruel coconut farmers <laughs> who make them work to meet growing demand for vegan milk. Right? I totally 100% like disagree, Smug. And this is... Oh my God! You're gonna wait. Go pro monkey? What? No, no. This is not lib. This is great. No, it, I'm saying the media is saying that this is cruel is a lib talking point. Well, it, this is this is for these is, monkeys. This is a it's career. It's providing them purpose. It, it's not I, a handout. It's a hand up no, no, for no. these monkeys. You're exactly. <laughs> right. They could be out there throwing kids from buildings, or they can get a job. You can start providing for your monkey no, wife. No, no, no. Build, raise your build, monkey. You're kids. not seeing, building a nest egg for the next generation. <laughs> there you go. You're not seeing. You're not seeing the silver lining okay. in this, and that is the vegans, the most sanctimonious people uh, in right. all of society, right. are now forced to read that for them oh. drinking it, these poor monkeys are in chains. Oh, what? A, and so, what? A, I just love that. What a dilemma. Because these people are the people who will look up, look down their nose at you for driving a gas car. Right or eating meat, right? And now you find out that it's basically torturing monkeys to make their vegan milk. I'm all for it. Yeah, but no, it's not torture. That, make them not, feel bad. That piece of it, they're not torturing monkeys at all. Uh, the monkeys, according to the Sun, and I would phrase this differently, but they're made to spend countless hours picking the fruit uh, when they're not chained to the floor. Uh, the Times reported, also uh, known as uh, PTO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the farmers reportedly pull on ropes that are tied around the animal uh, to control them when uh, they're carrying out their grueling shifts to the treetops. I mean, look, when you take your dog on a walk, it's on a leash. That's not cruelty. It's not. That's just being... It would, they, 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 would, they would run away. Let's be honest. They're yeah. going to run away if they're not chained to the ground. That's the thing. They're going to go. They're going to steal a child and throw it off the roof. These monkeys have turned away from a life of crime. That's basically and it. They are, and they are now... Provided that first hand up. Yeah. They are provided a, a shot at the ownership societies. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's an a, opportunity. It's a monkey chain gang. <laughs> chain those monkeys. All right, so we got to talk about this one quickly, too. So Axios did this piece that everybody's talking about in D.C. about how uh, Biden is, is basically a dick. <laughs> You see this? Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. So President Biden likes to whisper to make a point. In private, he's point prone to yelling, according to Axios. Behind closed doors, Biden has such a quick trigger temper that some aides try to avoid a meeting alone with him. Some take a colleague as most sh as a shield against a solo blast. Uh, the president's admonit <laughs> admonitions include, God damn it. How the fuck do you know this? How the fuck don't you know this? Don't fucking bullshit me. And get the fuck out of here, <laughs> according to current and former Biden aides who have witnessed and been on the receiving end of such outbursts. 
let's break this down for a minute because it's remember we talked a few weeks ago about how Axios was basically behind the scenes doing the like Biden staff play by play. Yeah. And they're continuing to do this. They're very mm -hmm. well sourced. But I'm always skeptical of the intentions of leaking something like this. Yeah. If, if you're a staffer, why are you sharing this story? In a presidential reporter? cycle. Yeah. And like, I wonder if his physical, obvious physical limitations yes. and mental, should we say, incongruity. Uh, That's very generous. Have led to them saying like, no. He's actually so with it, he's an asshole. That's yeah. the thing is, I he's think, a real taskmaster. Oh, this, this guy. guy is a ruffian. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's I, I think spin. they've had, you know, all this actual, like, these facts come out about Biden where he refuses to do any, like, events or anything before, like, 10 a.m. And, like, after 4 p.m., he's done. It's over. Like, yeah. you can catch him for that amount of time. All these stories have come out. People have seen him fall off of bicycles fall repeatedly trying to go upstairs. <laughs> right. Like, it's gotten that dire, and you see polling again and again, like we've discussed numerous times on the show, where over 50% of Americans think Biden is mentally and physically incapable to be president, that they mm -hmm. are now at their, like, last straw of, like, how can we prove that he has a pulse? Uh, he shouts. He's, he runs around. He's mean. Maybe people will believe he's actually alive at this mm -hmm. point. It's not just a weekend of Bernie's type of situation, which says a lot. It's it that dire. It's that dire. It, it, it is. It yeah. is. Um, but also, you know, like according to the Alzheimer's organization, and I'm not <laughs> saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> aggressive behaviors may be verbal or physical uh, when you've lost your... Uh, yeah. That, that's another thing yeah. I don't think they consider is if there's any truth to this, you know, it's unfortunate. Any folks who've had family members who suffer from Alzheimer's, it's something that you see. It's terrible. You'll see, they'll, you know, like it says, a direct quote. God damn it, how the fuck don't you know this? They'll, they'll think that everyone should know things. They won't recognize people. They won't know where they are. They get confused and they get angry. <laughs> a good offense is a good defense. And, and so that's what, you know, we could be seeing that here as well. well uh, aggression can be caused by many factors, including physical discomfort, environmental factors, and poor communication. If the person with Alzheimer's is aggressive, consider what might be contributing to this change in behavior. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is where you slide over the brochure that says a place for mom. <laughs> <laughs> but for but for uh, Biden staffers, it's sort of business as usual. Did you see the Saki quote in here? Oh, what was that? The Saki quote was so great. Um, hold on, I got to find it. Yeah, please do. I mean, there's, there's another Jen, Jen Saki uh, saying, quote, I said to Biden multiple times. I'll know we have a really good trusting relationship when you yell at me the first time. <laughs> oh. so he beats me because he loves me. That's Look right. what that you made insane. me do. There, there's another, Look what you made me do. There's another line in the story that I absolutely love. Being yelled at by the president has become an internal initiation ceremony Come in this on. White House. <laughs> if Biden doesn't yell at you, it could be a sign he doesn't respect you. <laughs> And they ran, and he specifically, I think he had a tweet even about this, where he was like, if I ever raise a voice to a staffer oh, yeah. or I'm indecent, I'm bringing decency back to well, the White House, I would resign. Dude, there's this guy in the story who says, he tells this one time he was going to see him, and he was like, <laughs> oh, he was like, okay, Senator, time to do some fundraising calls. Biden responded by looking at him and snapping, get the fuck out of his car. <laughs> The poor guy was just doing his job. And that senator was John Fetterman. <laughs> <laughs> sir. Okay, sir. Just a few calls to make. Sir, I'm, <laughs> sir, I'm 25. I've given a list of calls that you need to make. Get the fuck out of here. <sighs> oh, my God. That's amazing. What that's so lunatic, good. What a lunatic. Oh, all right. Well, let's get to this interview because I think it's really important. I, I, I think I'm for this, but I want to hear Walsh. Let's go. I want to welcome to the program a longtime friend. Uh, familiar face. I haven't seen him in a while, but it's really nice to see him today. Brian Walsh, thanks for coming in, buddy. Thanks for having me. First time guest, but long time fan of the program. Yeah, well, we're, we're thrilled to have you here in studio for the first time. And you're coming in with a, a, a group that's been around for quite a while now. A few months, right? Working on behalf of a group called the Capital Access Alliance. It's yeah. a coalition of over 60 transportation, cha chambers of commerce, um, minority groups around the country all really focused on 
improving access and affordability to, to Washington, D.C. A lot of people don't realize Washington actually has the highest domestic ticket prices in the country for anyone who flies in and out of Washington, D.C., and a big part of that is the federal government. Reason for that is the federal government. So we're, we're aimed at, at changing that in this year's FAA reauthorization bill. So this is, because um, I feel like I've seen these ads all over uh, social media and stuff on, on, on Twitter. This is a, about DCA in particular, Reagan National Airport, right? Correct. So Washington, D.C., as many people who have flown or mm -hmm. come in and visited, has two airports. It's, there's Reagan National, which is in Arlington, right closest to the city. Yeah. And there's Dulles, which is about 20, 25 miles outside the city. Since 1966, a lot of people who live in Northern Virginia don't even realize this. Since 1966, Congress has had a rule on the books that artificially limits the number of flights that can go in and out of Reagan beyond 1,250 miles. Hmm. So there's only... 20 flights a day that can go beyond 1,250 miles. Now, the reason for that was back in 1966, when Dulles was opening up, hardly anyone lived out there. Yeah. There was like 35,000 people who lived in Loudoun County, Virginia, where Dulles is located. Mm. Well, fast forward nearly 60 years later, a lot of things have changed. You know, to yeah. put it in perspective, back in 1966, the Department of Transportation hadn't even been stood up. Huh. There's 450,000 people in Loudoun County today. Fairfax County's population has more than doubled. So it was put in place to protect Dulles at a time when few people lived out there, but it's been kept in place for reasons like anything else in Washington, change is, is difficult. There's an entrenched bureaucracy yeah. that doesn't wanna change the status quo. But you know, it's now 2023, 10 times more people are flying than, than 60 years ago. And so our goal is to have Congress add authorize more flights. Now people say, why is Congress even involved? Which is a, a great question. <laughs> Uh, both Dulles and DCA are federally owned facilities. So the only way more flights can be added out of Reagan is if Congress authorizes them. And what caught my attention is when you said that it, what you're pushing could reduce costs. I mean, these these plane fares are so expensive out of DCA, out of Dulles. I mean, you, you cannot get from here to anywhere else without paying an arm and a leg. And if you're traveling with family to D.C. or away from D.C., you're feeling it in the summer or any time you come in. Highest ticket prices, but also a lot of connecting flights. I have, I have two young kids. So I, I, I want to get wherever I'm going as quickly as possible, right? Like I think like a lot of parents, you, yeah. you don't want to connect if you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, now, the opposition to this effort is being led by United Airlines, which has 80% of the gates at Dulles. And mm. surprise, surprise, they don't want more competition. And so they're fighting this very hard. We're working with Delta Airlines and a lot of other partners to try to change this to improve the status quo. But, you know, because there's so few choices right now, like, you know, your only choice really if you go out of Dulles is United. At DCA, American Airlines controls nearly 60% of the gates. So surprise, surprise, they're opposing this too because they simply don't want more competition. But subsequently, it's airline passengers who are paying the price with mm -hmm. some of the highest ticket prices in the country. What I don't understand is, it's like the the United part of it makes sense to me. The rest of it doesn't make sense to me because like I, I mean, I fly American, but I visit my wife's family in Austin, for example. And if you ever try to get to Austin from DC, you know, there's not, one flight. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And if you can't get on that, you got to connect through DFW. And it's like, I, you know, I travel with young kids too. There's nothing. I hate more than have to be at that Dallas-Fort Worth airport waiting on a connection to, to basically fly an additional 30-minute flight, right? So, and they just expanded all those gates at DCA. So I, I, what I don't understand is, is how is this not obvious to people that the demand is there for people to travel out of DCA? Well, Austin is a great example. There is, as you said, noted, there's one flight a day. It's a Southwest flight. Yeah. It, but it's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. If you think about San Antonio further to the south, San Antonio is now the seventh largest city in the country. Does not have a single direct flight from wow. DCA. And so Austin, San Antonio, and kind of other other cities would be areas that would be looked at. Yeah. Think about Seattle, for example. They're building a new headquarters for Amazon right next to Reagan National. There's only two flights a day mm. uh, to DCA. Uh, they're both Alaska flights. So there are a lot of areas. More people are traveling than ever before. But, you know, there is this entrenched bureaucracy. United just doesn't want more competition. So our hope, though, is that, you know, and this is, you know, we're, seeing support from members of both parties this is one of those rare issues in Washington that actually doesn't break across party lines. Right. You have Democrats, Republicans, um, conservatives and liberals supporting this. 
Our goal, though, is to get this over the finish line, have Congress authorize more flights out of DCA. Hmm. So one of the uh, arguments that the other side makes is that there would actually be a reduction in some of the locations that currently serve to DCA. And, and you say that's just that's not the case. Well, yeah, like I said, their primary argument is just anti-competition. But surprise, surprise, that doesn't really play well on Capitol Hill or with the general public to say, I don't want more competition. So they've settled on this false narrative that it'll somehow cut flights elsewhere. And I just tell people, read the bill. It's H.R. 3185. The bill is purely additive. And so it basically says, you'll get, we're going to authorize 28 more flights across all seven airlines. And so that's what's ironic here is that United and American are opposing something that they would also benefit from. They would get four new flights each under this legislation to fly wherever they want. Mm. And so the bill basically says each airline, seven airlines at DCA, gets, seven, gets four new flights. You can send it to Nashville. You could send it to Orlando. You could send it to Seattle if we're Salt Lake City. So it doesn't affect any in-perimeter current service. It's purely additive. Mm. Mm. So, like I said, it's just one of these things in Washington that, you know, change takes a long well, time. It's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> crazy. It's and just weird. It's weird because it's like, I mean, it's not, it's not an argument that works with the general populace to be like, oh, boy, just think about the other airports. And it's like, I don't want to think about other airports. I just want to go into one airport and then land at another one and I'm where I want to be. Like, <laughs> Well, I'm like anyone else, right? I, I fly United. I fly American. I fly right. Delta. Yeah. I mean, I fly wherever can get me the Especially best Especially when you got kids and you're like, right? okay, yeah. whatever is going to limit the amount of pain I have to go through, the shortest amount of time, the most direct, that's all you care about. That's, that's all you care about. And, and you know what's funny is we did a poll. I mean, I've lived in Virginia for years and we did a poll of a thousand Northern Virginia residents and it came out with two um, results, which anecdotally matched what I had heard from neighbors. One, a lot of people, even in Northern Virginia, aren't aware that this is a 1960s era regulation that's yeah. limiting travel. Yeah, no, and I wasn't. No, a lot of people, I talked to my neighbors who, who who just aren't familiar. They say, well, that's why we only can have to go to Dulles and take a United flight. We can't, we don't have more options. And two, when they learn more about it, they're like, we want more choices. Right. And so what's interesting is you have the two Democratic Virginia senators leading the fight against this. Oh, interesting. And, uh, they are, and there's two interesting observations I'd make there. One, I don't think they have their finger on the pulse of where many of their constituents are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> especially <laughs> parents, yeah. especially parents, right? You we want lower prices, us. we want direct yeah. flights. Yeah. Two, what's also interesting is, you know, especially on the left, they talk about, you know, environmental impact and we need a cleaner environment. Well, the, our study also shows that passengers going to DCA have the highest carbon footprint in the country because many of them have to make connecting flights. Mm. So this is an opportunity to address environmental issues. But surprise, surprise, like many other issues, there's a not in my backyard crowd. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the Hollywood actors who take their private jets to environmental conferences to preach about <laughs> global warming, right? I mean, it's like, so they're all for it, except in their backyard. Yeah. So there's a lot of irony here. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming in to talk about this, Brian. Um, we will, I'm sure, get a ton of mail. We get we hear from we hear from our listeners all the time on stuff like this, and I guarantee we're going to hear a lot from our listeners on this particular subject. And I hope we can stay in touch and talk a little bit more about it as time goes on. That would be great. Uh, we would encourage people to go to CapitalAccessAlliance.com. You can go there. You can send an email to your senator. Give them a call. This is going on in, in, through Congress right now in the FAA reauthorization bill. So. It'll probably go into the fall, but we would we would urge people to contact their members of Congress and say, why are we still having 1960s era regulation <laughs> governing air travel in the United States in 2023? Well said. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Capital Access Alliance has uh, has a big network around the country, a lot of locals who are pushing to get this, uh, you know, naturally they want more flights into D.C., and it seems like they've they're making some inroads. I, well, the perimeter rule thing here that he's describing is sort of slices through Texas. So sort of like self like Austin and San Antonio are outside it. Yeah. Right. And so selfishly, yes, I would like more flights out of DCA, please direct to Austin where my uh, let, wife's family lives. Let me tell you what tipped the balance, because honestly, I hadn't thought about this before. And I started reading about it because you guys were going to talk to him today. Uh and as I was doing that last night, I'm not making this up, the 11 o'clock news came on and they did a package. And it was, you know, all these proposals and local pushback. And then they've got some dudes. It's like this dude's hair is everywhere. He's in a Zoom. He's like on his couch and he's like, 
Uh, we're all for consumers, but not on the backs of the good people of Washington, D.C. <laughs> and I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Because a plane flew over your house? Maybe don't live in the flight path. No, I'm serious. Like, there's planes going over all of the time. Right, if we live in a like, big city. You're living in a city. If yeah. that bothers you, I don't know. There's a lot of places in this country you can go. Go to Manassas. It's like 20 miles that way. Yeah. Don't, like... Say you can't fly to Texas because, oh, this plane is over top and it carries 2,000 pounds of fuel. <laughs> what a shitty argument. I was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I'm yeah. for these guys. Whatever it is, that guy sold me. Yeah. And Walsh did a nice job. So anyway, fellas, I think we did it. I think so. Outstanding work. And thanks again to Brian Walsh for coming and telling us more about that situation. So absolute banger of an episode of My Say So Myself. Bangers always. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.